Welcome to Death Watch, a serial watch cast about Disney, Star Wars, The Mandalorian. I'm Mike Bennett. I'm Chris Skull. And today, we'll be talking about Season 1, Episode 1, entitled Chapter 1, The Mandalorian. So the purpose of this podcast is we're going to do more than just recap each episode. We also include story elements in relation to the Star Wars universe, production elements, talk about the creative team, writers, producers, directors, and even some character arcs. Now, overall, we talk about what makes this show great and how it actually moves the Star Wars universe forward. And full disclosure, we love this show and think it's awesome. So today we're talking about episode one. Uh, this series was created by John Favreau, and uh, the episode was directed by Dave Filoni. John Favreau, you you probably are familiar with him, even if you think you don't know who he is. He has a very diverse body of work. He started in a lot of indie comedy films. Uh, his on IMDb, he's got over seventy actor credits. He was in Seinfeld, Friends, The Larry Sanders Show. The Sopranos. Uh, he was in Elf, uh, Iron Man. Uh, he also directed Iron Man. He directed Elf. Uh, one thing he does awesome, I think, in Elf, when he built the sets in the earlier part of the movie where they're in the North Pole in the um, the Elf villages, he built all the sets with forced perspective to make Will Ferrell look larger than all the regular sized actors in the same studio. Um, so it's all you know that kind of creativity of making the set work for the production and not kind of rely on post-production to make the the vision work. I think that's one of the things that makes him such a strong candidate for this series. And he directed a bunch of other movies and TV shows, including, like I said, Elf, Iron Man. He directed an episode of The Office, um, and he's actually directing one of the episodes in season two of The Mandalorian. I love his creativity. He's a super creative guy. Uh, you know, like I said, I think he's the perfect person to be the, uh, creating a, a live action series for Star Wars. Star Wars fans need to be familiar with Dave Filoni's work uh, because he was one of the uh, core reasons why Clone Wars and Rebels even exist in the first place. Um, he was director for the, for the Clone Wars movie. He was a supervising director, writer, and executive producer for the Star Wars uh, for Clone Wars series. Um, same thing for Star Wars Rebels. Not only was he uh, supervising director, writer, executive producer, creator, but he also did the voice of Chopper, which is probably like my favorite droid now in the entire Star Wars universe. Um, but what's what's great about these shows is that they laid the groundwork for a ton of uh, new lore and new characters. Um, so not only did he fill in the gaps, um, but he also created fresh new background for the namesake um, Creed of the of this watch cast of mandalorians um exactly who they are um in the modern canon and the impact that they have in in the star wars universe is yet to be determined but much like the clone wars and the rebel series the mandalorians and those in in this show hope to bridge certain gaps and add exciting new insight in this galaxy far far away well i think more than any other single person besides george lucas dave filoni completely understands what star wars is about and uh you know who is who lives there what they do and and what the universe is is about in his own words um he was always a big star wars fan I and mean, he grew up with it ever since he was a little kid and um he was actually tapped by george lucas himself i mean he went to skywalker ranch and he met with him in his dining table and then after the initial interview with george he walked out and he was like i don't think i got the job and then George's assistant comes out and says, yeah, you're the guy. Like, you're you got, the guy. You're the guy. You're going to, you're going to do all, all of this. So as a, as a nerd personally, 
I'm sure he must have been like stupid excited. Um, but as a result of his passion for Star Wars, we've seen so much um, good, uh, good, inf- good shows, good new story elements that are very refreshing. Yeah. Well, and, and his body of work before Star Wars was in animation. I think he was I know he was on King of the Hill, which is a, a show that I I like. It also came from um, the the person who created The Office. Uh, so there's some like really great creativity in that show. And he was also heavily involved in uh, Last Airbender, too, which is a great series. Um, right. Not just in terms of his, his story, but even like the animation flows. He was an animator. He started off as an animator. Um, and then he directed several episodes. So he he knows how to merge um, story and action and then and then visual all together so that it's 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 seamless and it's enjoyable to the end. Right. And this is his first uh, live action um, directing experience. So it's it's really cool to see him translate that from the animated world to the, the physical world. And uh, I think he did an incredible job. Yeah. So, Mike, why don't we set the stage a little bit of where the show lies in, in relation to the Star Wars universe? Yeah. So we are uh, in relationship to the movies. We are just after the return of the Jedi about five years later. Um, so the the death, the second Death Star has been destroyed uh, over Endor. The Empire is beginning to fall apart. Uh, the New Republic is forming um, and Uh, We're also about 25 years before The Force Awakens. So um, in the most recent trilogy, you know, that's still 25 years out from where we are now. Um, So, you know, certain pockets of the galaxy are kind of being run by the seedy underground activities of, um, you know, the the people that we've come to know in the Star Wars series. So that's that's where we are in the timeline. Yeah. Yeah. The show, what I like about it is that it looks past the glitz and glamour of places, more exotic places like Coruscant and Naboo, and it, and it features the not so not fan. It does not show the uh, fancy you know, lightsaber battles. For all intents and purposes, in the storyline currently, uh, the legendary Jedi are no more. No one knows where they went. They were they're all they're all gone. So the galaxy, for the most part, is is really left to fend for itself. So now that we went over the backgrounds, now that we set the stage. Let's dive right into the episode. Right. So the beginning, we literally have a cold open. And for those of you who are not versed in production terminology, it shows cold open is the scene that happens before the credits. So right as a cold open here, and it's in a frozen tundra. Um, we see from the back of a person, we see a fob come into into view. It's beeping. Um, and, uh, and then uh, th- this person walks forward clearly dressed in Mandalorian gear with this awesome wispy cape um, flowing behind him. Um, we get the sense that this is probably our, our Mandalorian character. Um, no dialogue, just uh, holding and walking, very stoic. Um, looks like a, a guy you don't want to mess with. Mm-hmm. And then it's like very quintessential. As soon as they did the airlock opens, you just get silhouette. It's like very quintessential cowboy western uh quick western open you got the cape shoulder it's almost like a poncho the saloon door opens with the <laughs> yeah very, i like the, the double it's saloon a, doors sliding open this creek open you know it's very um the, that opening the physical opening is always representative of a dynamic change in in scene and the fact that we see his profile like the line of his 
the silhouette of a lone cowboy again definitely doesn't seem like a typical star wars movie yeah so there are these two uh thugs who are messing with uh if you have the subtitles on you find out it's a mithril uh, guys kind of looks like he's from some aquatic planet he's got fins and gills looking and his his hands are kind of webbed they're uh kind of screaming at him in uh Hatiz, which we know from Jabba the Hutt's crew and uh you hear it a lot more in um well it's in the first episode one you hear Anakin actually speaking it, it I think we're we're led to believe in general that Hatiz is the language of a lot of the outer rim um and so these guys are are speaking it and uh you know, talking to this guy, kind of bullying him, talking about how they're going to cut him apart, take, uh, take out his his glands. Yeah, apparently, apparently, Mithril Musk is like super valuable in the black market because like there's nothing more enticing than smelling like a giant fish. I think there's like space of market, black market for like space Calvin Klein uh, perfumes. Yeah, I'm just thinking of Anchorman when they have the Black Panther. <laughs> Sixty <laughs> percent of the time, it works time, every it time. Works all, it works all yeah. the time. It's like, can you yeah, just yeah. imagine like a commercial, like on the on the holodecks, like a space, like the new native scent from space yeah. Calvin Klein, Mithril um, Musk, Mithril Om Om de Poisson. What smells fishy? Ah, c'est moi. This episode is not brought to you by Mithril Musk. <laughs> Mithril Musk. If you want to smell like a fish, get Mithril Musk. Well, and this guy's played by Horatio Sands, too. If you're a, a, a comedy fan, you know Horatio Sands from Saturday Night Live. Uh, he's a great comedy actor. What I really liked about it is, like, I had no idea until you looked it up after the fact. <laughs> you yeah. Do, you do your research. It did such a good job in terms of the makeup. Like, you couldn't tell that it was, you know, Horatio Sands. And that's sort of a, a, a takeaway from this show is that there, you see a lot of actors, especially comedians, and you'll have no idea that they're actually there playing but because they're so heavily in, in costume, but everybody who's a Star Wars fan apparently got, got an invite to, <laughs> to be on the show. So Yeah, yeah. So these guys are messing with him. He's, uh, he's kind of like, hey, I'll give you some money. Leave me alone. And at this moment, the, the door, which is this awesome aperture like type, like shutter from a camera door, it, it slings open. Mando walks in, walks up to the bar like he's going for a drink. Still no words. Not sure if this guy even talks. <laughs> um, and uh, these thugs don't care for him. And I, I feel like this is a theme. It, anytime Mando walks into a room, everyone is immediately turned off by him. Um, you, you can sense that there is some ongoing reputation about him, uh, at least among bounty hunters and thugs. But uh, not super excited about him being there. And they he walk they walk up to him to try to kind of pick a fight with him at the bar. Mm -hmm. Something about spilling his drink or something weak like that. Spilling the drink that was already yeah. spilled when they, he walked in <laughs> the door. In. Bartender uh, tries to make the peace. He slides. He offers the thug a drink. You know, I'll, I'll just replace it with you, whatever. But then there's that classic spaghetti western trope. Bartender sliding drink down the counter doesn't exactly go as planned. Amanda. Yeah, this 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 is basically the beginning of like very. It kind of shows you the um, the skill the the skill of the of the Mandalorian and how the legend definitely uh, does not let down. Takes the drink, smashes it over the head of the human, and that starts the subsequent bar brawl. Makes quick work of the human. Quarren, 
octopus-faced dude um, tries to flee. Then we see Mando making, uh, using a tool that we saw from the OG Mandalorian Boba Fett. He uses that wrist launch cable tie, hog ties the Corrin, tries to rope him back in. Um, Corrin tries to shoot back. Mando shoots the lock, and then he makes like a banana and splits. Yeah, and we were talking about this. <laughs> the locks in Star Wars, you know, they're like, we've got this advanced security system. You just press the button, the door locks. Nobody can get in <laughs> unless you happen to have a blaster with you, which, which is everybody. <laughs> everybody has a blaster in Star Wars, and they just pff, blow it up, and the doors open. So easy, anyway. Easy access. Your door's yeah. open shoot the lock, close it. Your door is closed, shoot the lock, opens. Because why would you want to press a button? And uh, if you happen to be in the middle of the door when it closes, you might happen to get cut in half. Just like our, our corn buddy here. So, yeah. Any. So that's, that's a rough ending for this character <laughs> who has about a 30-second arc in the series. And zero dialogue. Yeah. He has a little bit of dialogue in the subtitles. Uh, it says squishy wriggles or something like that. It's his, his uh, body kind of flails on the ground. <laughs> squelching, squelching sounds. So our fish face dude, super grateful, offers him money. Well, he, he first offers him his thanks. My, you have my heartfelt gratitude. Just like, <laughs> bro, I mean... Come on, the guy just <laughs> obviously saved your life. They were about to like skin you. And you're like, thank you. You're like, well, actually, you know what? Why don't you take my fifty bucks? Because that's totally what this is <laughs> for worth your, for your time. You know, whatever for murdering that guy. Mando comes up. The guy's still laughing nervously and just right on the table gives him the uh, the bounty puck hologram. It's like, oh, is that? Uh, is that me? Is that me? Is that me? Yeah, yeah, these pucks are awesome. They're like yeah. great graphics, really good. Uh, 360. And really 360 portable. Old person. Like, yeah. Well, I know it's like, like uh, in um, episode one or two, or episode two at the end when they're on Geonosis and they have the little hologram of the Death Star. It looks a lot like that. Um, I wish all floor plans were actually like that. Just, oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, that makes yeah, so much Side easier. note for anyone who doesn't know us personally, we're both architects and designers. So we see the whole world through how we could show a floor plan or a building model. But yeah, this would be great. If you're, oh, we're going to build this building, just slap the puck down. When when Mando finally talks, it's it's such an impactful first statement first line into the entire series he goes i can bring you in warm and then he's reaching his hand on the holster he says i can bring you in cold yeah it's the only line he says in the whole first like in the whole cold open he's got one line and it is it's dope we'll talk about it a little bit down the line but uh evidently it was like a foreshadow you kind of meant to think that it's a it's a death threat but i think mando has mando has other plans he does so he's um, Got a transportation system he's working with. <laughs> Portable storage. Well, um, yep. so this dude, this dude's slick talking his way to get out of the situation. Uh, Mano doesn't have it. Next scene, he's already in cuffs, They're walking out into the tundra. Um, then they walk up to Speeder Uber Station. Um, first uh, guy comes up, plays his, plays his little flute, and then you see the droid. Droid comes up. What does Mando say? He says no droids. 
that seems like a pretty specific thing to say. You know, that sort of becomes a theme through not just the rest of the episode, but the entirety of the of the series. And later on, you'll find out why. Apparently, he has a big he has a big prejudice against droids. But it's interesting that this is the first instance where we where we see that his reservation against droids. Yeah, he's he's droidist. He's a droidist. Yeah, yeah. don't be a droidist, he, people. He's or, he's um he's like the the Tatooine bar owner in in uh, in Mos Eisley. We don't like your kind here. This is clearly whatever the racist version of droids is. I guess droidist uh, I'm works. St- I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with droidist. So we get a little cameo here. So he, he says no droids. Guy plays the flute again. We get the second Uber driver, uh, played by Brian Posen, who you probably recognize, maybe not where from, but he's a stand-up comic actor. He's in shows like Sarah Silverman Program and Mr. Show. Um, but he's got his own little personality uh, for sure, but drives the speeder. And I love, it's kind of subtle here, but the way that this speeder, the way it's shot, it looks a lot like in A New Hope when Luke and Obi-Wan are, are riding in their land speeder, which at the time was by the fact that they couldn't make a hover looking car in graphics. So they had it on a big arm and it could only move in a, in a like a circle so even in the way the scene is shot it feels like it's kind of moving in a circle which i thought was kind of cool you probably use something similar to actually you know film that film that scene but you see he's like beat up jalopy of a of a speeder it's like <laughs> yeah a little a little access panel falls off some smoke sputters out it, it, it still runs i swear which I, you know, this is another thing. I don't know what the technology is like for propulsion in Star Wars. Like, it seems like a lot of times they're called ion engines and other types of non-petroleum-based fuel. Um, and so the fact that, like, smoke is sputtering out seems weird, but... It's the same technology as the locks. You just got to shoot it to get it to go. Just accelerate. So we, uh, we, we trek across the ice a little bit out to where... Mando parked his ship, and we get the classic Star Wars trope of, uh, "Oh, you're you you fly this like uh, <laughs> um, this is a piece of garbage." Yeah, Princess Leia's line when she first sees the Millennium Falcon, which is like, I I don't know, I think this ship looks awesome. I, it doesn't look like a piece of junk to me, but maybe that's just because I don't have an interstellar spaceship. It definitely does. I mean, from what we what we've seen in other. Sh- you know, ships from other movies and in the Star Wars lore, it definitely looks different. Almost like the steel, all metal Cadillac in a in a world of like plastic and uh, aluminum, cheap aluminum. You know, modern day cars. This this thing seems like it's a hunk of metal, like a big hunk of metal. But but even the design of it actually looks um, very unique. We don't get much history on it, but we do know that it's. Um, pre-republic i think is what he said pre-empire pre-empire it's like pre-empire so that can that's thing is like decades decades old yeah i mean it has like so it has those like nacelle engines like on the star trek with their like out on wings and kind of fly out it's kind of like some of the um uh the early ships in clone wars they kind of had engines that were out on even some of the alderaan ships had those like engines out on mounts they weren't kind of like built into the ship so it's it's an interesting design i I like it a lot i like that it's kind of like bulky it kind of feels like a world war ii bomber in some ways the way the cockpit's up on the front like that is is pretty cool 
for me, it kind of like even the ship is kind of like the uh, the attitude of the Mandalorian. It's like I, I just need something that works. You're not about flashy, no frills, no fl- nothing flashy. Just I need something that'll get me from point A to point B. And so the Uber driver drives off, and uh, we get this like I mean the the whole time he's been talking is heavy-handed foreshadowing. <laughs> They're like, you know what he's looking for, right? He's looking for Ravenax. He's like, oh, be careful where you are. You better get off the ice. Like four times where he points out something's going to happen. He's driving away. The Mithril even does this scene where like, the camera's in front of him, and he, he takes one step forward like he's anticipating something to happen. It's like something out of Jurassic Park. Yeah, exactly. And then, boom, up from the ice something we can't see it because it's too far uh, away from the camera gra- jumps up and rips the speeder back into the water and starts coming at us space ice t-rex just <laughs> jaws and uh and a giant giant saber tooth walrus jumps out uh at, at the last minute mando pulls the mithril into the ship and the uh, walrus grabs the landing gear as they're trying to take off and we get this awesome look at first look at his rifle and it's one of many skill sets which apparently has a a, a shock stick which interesting enough that that actual rifle design it goes all the way back to um the original uh macquarie designs for for star wars which actually does make its its first showing in the first showing of uh boba fett and the animated uh christmas special yeah the holiday special the holiday special, which I have yet to see, and I probably never will, just out of personal spite. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what that's about, but we do. It is a cool callback to think to to grab something from Star Wars lore that's not necessarily like front and center in our minds, but you can be like, "Oh, look, this has been out there for thirty years. Um, here it is again." There it is. So they make their way back into the ship, start <laughs> sputtering away. Uh, Mithril goes down. He's like, "I gotta use the vac tube," which apparently is space talk for "I gotta, I gotta use the loop." How have we gone forty years in Star Wars and no one has ever had to go to the bathroom? I get that it's not like something everyone's interested in, but especially since we've had the Clone Wars and we got seven seasons, and Rebels gave us four seasons, the Resistance is giving us some seasons, like. No one has to go to the bathroom. <laughs> I'm really glad that someone in the writer's room was asked that question and they're like, so how do they go to the bathroom? Just right in the toilet. We'll call it the space vac. Yep. So now toilets are canon, which is great. Toilets are canon, thankfully. Not a toilet canon, though. That sounds worse. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Maybe, I mean, Mandalorians probably weaponized toilets for all they know. <laughs> yeah, that, that's what led to their downfall. <laughs> Uh, that would be great if we find out the Great Purge was due, <laughs> was due to toilet cannons. <laughs> uh, okay, that got off the rails. So he's stumbling around looking for, realistically, what is a way out of this situation? And he just is continuing to run his mm-hmm. mouth. Mm-hmm. Uh, come on, man, like, how much are they paying you? I'd be happy to pay you. Like, I've got a lot of credits. And it, it doesn't really ring as true, like... I don't think this guy is actually that wealthy. I think that he's, I don't know, a, ga- a gambler or a, a bad businessman. He's 
he's made a lot of bad decisions. I don't think he's got the money that he thinks he has. I mean, there's a bounty on his head for a reason. Probably skip bail or something for some debts that he owed. Yep. So he's uh, he's bouncing around the lower deck, uh, seeing what he can figure out. Hits a button, opens up uh, the men in black gun rack, which was cool. And I I looked through these scenes. I looked for that noisy cricket because it would have been an awesome Easter egg. Uh, d- does not appear to be in there, but there's a load a load of blasters, rifles, all kinds of things. I also when that door opens. I swear it sounds like the doors from the Star Trek Voyager when they open. <laughs> and I know that's a very oddly specific, but the little sound that it just sounds like a Star Trek door opening sound. Anyway, I think it would have been a good, good callback. He continues to walk around. He's still talking. I don't know why at this point he hasn't been <laughs> silenced. Yeah. He uh, he's ta- says something about Life Day. I don't know what Life Day is. Do you know what Life Day is referring to? It refers to the holiday special. The reason, the reason why there's a holiday, well, I don't know why why there's a holiday special, but the story behind it is they they go to Kashyyyk and they meet up with um, Chewbacca to celebrate uh, Life Day, which is I guess a mix between Christmas and birthday or, or something. I'm I'm not particularly sure, nor nor do I care. Again, holiday special. I compartmentalize it into a box, and I th- and I throw it away. It is it is not. In my mind, would have made it to start. We Wars. might need to take that out of the trash and and, <laughs> and figure that out for this podcast. So We're we'll look into that. Trash, take the trash out of the trash. Yeah, he uh, he goes a little bit further and starts seeing a bunch of uh, people frozen in carbonite, a la Han Solo at the end of Empire Strikes Back. Um, looks like they got brought in cold, uh, not warm, and. Uh, Looks like that's where our guy's headed. Um, he says, uh, I was trying to get home for Life Day this year. Looks like it might not happen. And we get the second line from Mando. Yeah, probably not. Probably not. I personally know the fact that um, carbon freezing is the most efficient and portable uh, means of storing your prisoners versus having a brig and having to feed them and giving them access to this space vac. Well, and there's a pretty quick uh, readaptation of this technology. I mean, I think uh, it, we're led to believe it's the first time it's ever happened in uh, at the end of Empire when they do it to Han Solo, and that's a full fledged mining facility. That's not. This is a like a portable ship, um, and that's only what eight years before this. So it's gotten around pretty quick. Uh, how to? Uh, readapt your your equipment. I can have a feeling like Han Solo was technically the first person to get frozen in carbonite, and after that was successful, people were like, "Huh." Well, and there's got to be a connection with with Boba Fett, right? Because it, Boba Fett takes the delivery of Han Solo to Jabba, and before his probably untimely demise, foreshadowing. But yeah, but we have, so he probably maybe hangs out with Mando at some point. I mean, two Mandalorians in the galaxy bereft of Mandalorians. They probably know each other. So maybe they pass that along. So I think this is a good place to take a quick break, uh, refill our coffee, get some water and, uh, give a chance to share a word from our sponsors. Uh, I do just want to say, uh, 
and every episode that we have, we strive for transparency on this show. So whenever we have paid advertisements or sponsored content, things like that, we want to introduce that to you first, let you know just you know what what you're hearing. Um, we're thankful for your passion and your support of the show, and we encourage you to uh, share that support with our sponsors who make this all possible. So thank you, and we'll be right back. Welcome back to Death Watch. So we go back from Mando. He's already frozen his quarry. He's heading on his way back to a planet called Navarro. Um, he's already, he's got ties with the Bounty Hunters Guild. He meets a man named Grief Karga. So we know the reputation. It sort of sets the scene for Mando's reputation because Grief Karga is sitting in the bar, typical hive of you know scum and villainy. Well, and two, this this planet, we, as he's landing, we get like a cool sequence of, you know, we, we get to see where he's going. And it's basically like an active volcano planet. It is. You can um, still see like smoke plumes coming out yeah, of it. Yeah, all over the place. Lava. The, the architecture of this town um, that we're going to is kind of modeled after Pompeii, which is a town that is that was engulfed by a volcano. So that's kind of like, that's what's happening to this town. It's, it seems like it's almost carved into, I can't tell if it was here before the volcanoes or is just slowly disappearing from the volcanoes. I, I kind of think it's the other way around. I think it's like the, the town was there first and then just slowly lava and magma starts to cool like around it. Yeah. Still, still an interesting place to put, still an interesting place to be to lay low and whatnot. So we get Mando in in the in this bar, going up to Grief Karga, who's played by Carl Weathers, um, great actor, um, plays it really well here. And uh, Mando, he's getting a lot of negative looks. This is the second time he's walked into a room, and everyone's kind of not stoked that he's there. Drops four fobs on the table. Uh, at Grief Karga actually says, "Back so soon," which kind of lets you know. Mando's really good at his job. He's kind of not. Uh, he's he's surprising the guy, yeah, in the guild that he came back so quickly. Drops on the four fobs, starts to get ready to offload. He kind of start to negotiate a little bit payment, and we get this kind of insight into the economics of the galaxy, uh, which is it feels a little bit. Although I think they do it well here. It feels a little bit like in the prequel trilogy when they're like, hey, did you like how we had a, a cool Star Wars, Star Galaxy with ships and fighting and lightsaber swords? Are you <laughs> curious about how the Senate works and committees <laughs> and uh, trade organizations? Do you want to hear no. about that? No. Well, we're going to talk about it anyway for three movies. Yeah. But here, so they, they he, he pays him in credits, Imperial credits. And he's like, I, I don't want Imperial credits. No, he goes, um, he goes I, I don't know if you've heard. But there's no more empire. Yeah. He's like, they still spend. And it, there's this like transfer. He's like, all right, well, I can pay you in calamari flan, which one, I think it's strange that he has both of these currencies or potentially multiple currencies. Like I'm not walking around with dollars and euros and pounds in my pocket at all times where I'm like, oh, can I buy the sandwich? And like, yeah, but we don't take dollars. Like, oh, I have pounds. No big deal. <laughs> I've got pieces of jelly in my pocket. Will you accept this? This currency, yeah, if, and it feels a lot too like from uh, Phantom Menace when Qui Gon tries to buy the ship parts from Watto, and he's like, "Your credits aren't good here." So even during the Empire's reign, the credits didn't have a whole lot of value in the Outer Rim to begin with, and we we feel like that's where we are. So anyway, I think it's just it seems more like Reef Karga trying to spend some 
dollars that he happened to have. <laughs> Mando accepts the calamari flan, which are these cool, weird little jelly discs that uh, have a great sound effect when he goes to wipe them off the table. I do have questions about, you know, how how well they would hold together and not <laughs> break apart. But what's the consistency of calamari currency? Just like do you do you eat it? Like do you eat it by accident? Like how does it stay in your pocket like does it does it dry up the the calamari flans the money of moncala where um that many of our that we met earlier yeah quarren and also admiral akbar they're both from moncala so he takes it he's trying to get you know his next job grief Carger goes through a bunch of jobs that are you know they're not that great sounding bail jumper bail jumper <laughs> Uh, what's the other one? A wanted smuggler, which I would love to find out that this is Han Solo, that <laughs> that, that that there's a, just another bounty out for him. Because again, he's still around in this timeline. He's a potential character who could come in contact with this group. Theoretically, bounty hunters and smugglers hang out often, so it's not crazy to think. And maybe it's just a little Easter egg. I mean, we know that in Force Awakens, Han Solo is up to his old ways and smuggling stuff he for just sure happens, you know so it doesn't you know yeah i could be a general and i could help out with the new republic or i could just go back to being a space pirate yeah so we don't know where he's at at this point he could still be uh involved in the the new republic but anyway none of these jobs are uh are tickling mando's fancy he passes he's like these aren't even enough to make to pay for fuel uh which again another reference to fuel i don't know how you get fueled up on on these engines but Anyway, any case, and they pay 5,000 credits. So I feel like there's maybe some way we could track the value of credits towards the cost of fuel to get to a planet. Anyway, we'll come up with a calculator for that. <laughs> Check back to mandaloriancalculator.com. <laughs> um, and so, and honestly, a lot of this, so he's like, why are there no good bounties? They're like, they're like, well, there are a lot, but no one just wants to pay the guild rates. They, they don't care if it's a good job. They just want it done, which we were joking. Yeah, it feels like the freelance community where <laughs> you're like, well, you're a graphic designer, right? Could you just make me a logo for like 20 bucks? Yeah. So Mando knows his value. He's like, uh, these aren't working for me. And Grief's like, well, and he drops his voice a little bit. He moves in a little bit closer. He's only, like, the only way Carl Weathers can. Well, there is one job. And he's like, laying it out and it's clearly outside of the normal bounds of mm-hmm. a uh, bound, uh, bounty hunters guild commission mm-hmm. is direct commission to the client here's a little face to face card to get into the clubhouse you go check it out and uh he's got a deep pocket so we we get primed that this is a high paying job very important and mando's like all right i'll take it walks out and we get this cool little scene walking through the marketplace we get this like horrifying foreground image of uh the little rat animal that sits on Jabba the Hutt's shoulder and he's also Hondo Kanata's pet um roasting on a fire pit with another one like caged next to it watching it in terror and I mean these aren't like that was pretty dark. Like dumb animal. Like I don't. I don't mean to be rude if there are any chickens listening. Um, but like, <laughs> it's not a chicken on a on a being roasted chickens. on a fire pit. Like these are pretty sentient, like animals. If it's like 
roasting a dog next to a, a dog, <laughs> dog watching it. Yeah. Uh, so that's kind of horrifying. A couple of other things. We, we don't, I, I was looking pretty hard here to see if there were any hidden Easter eggs. I didn't see any. Did you see any? There's uh, not in terms of Easter eggs, but it also sets the scene where he's like walking and then you see the heads of the stormtrooper buckets on pikes. Oh yeah. Yeah. You get the sense that the stormtroopers are not super uh, welcome around here. Which is ironic because our an exact next scene is when he actually shows up in the CD back alley. He shows the little ID card, the famous little security eyeball droid. Yeah, the thing from uh, Jabba's palace. Exactly. You see that speaks his, he reads it, speaks its language, and then comes back in its eye socket. So door opens. Some stormtroopers. They bring Mando in. Walks into a room and. Uh, We've got this, like, really gangster old dude who's just chilling at a table in the middle. Like, he couldn't be bothered by anyone. Really, like, battle-hardened, tough guy. He's wearing this cool medallion with the Imperial logo on it, which seems a lot like the Empire watched... Uh, a new hope and saw that Luke and Han and Chewie got medals and they're like, Oh, I want a medal. Give me one. I feel like this guy is, um, and you'll see later on in the series, he is a diehard fan of, of the empire. Um, you don't really see it in this first episode, but he is a, definitely an empire loyalist. So whether he got that as a reward or he made it himself, like you knew that this guy is of, of money. But I, I what I really appreciated about this scene is, is two things. One, Again, goes back to what he says in the beginning where he says no droids. And as soon as he walks in, he already encounters two droids. The one at the door and the little walking gonk droid. And he's like quiet and he's walking slow and the music changes. And it's like he doesn't like the situation that he's in. The second thing is doors open and immediately like four stormtroopers are are looking right at him. But their armor is dirty. It's beat up. It kind of makes you feel like the Empire is finally on its on its last legs like you don't know if these are actual stormtroopers you don't know if these are just dudes that are hired and they're wearing stormtrooper armor like they're marked or some kind but it's definitely a stark contrast to the you know pristine spotless white armor that we're used to seeing in the previous films so we're meant to think in this scene that they're they're not really going to be a threat yeah there there's some strong like post-Nazi Germany vibes here. Like when they were, some of them escaped and were hanging out in Argentina. Like after the empire is over, there's still some, some Imperial guys. These are like, even having Werner Herzog who like plays this character amazingly, like it, just that, that accent gives that same kind of sinister uh, vibe to it as well. And uh, so he, he sits him down and actually before he sits down, um, we get an introduction to, the doctor who who happens to walk in not paying attention to what's going on sets off mando who whips out his blasters kind of causes a, a moment for a second he tried the uh stormtroopers try to threaten him by saying we've got you four to one he's like that's no big deal to me i like those odds um and uh they put down their blasters they settle down and uh and he talks them through the commission there's a a person that they need to get they don't have a whole lot of information on him. They can't give him the full chain code, which feels like a social security number tracking thing. It apparently has several components of data. 
there's not a lot of info i think on what the whole idea of the chain code is but it's somehow associated with like an individual because when he says we can only give you the last four numbers immediately manda goes their age so it's somehow associated with like their their birth date yeah it's like your uh like your bank account the last whatever anyway we so we get this allusion to the chain code um he says you know well we're gonna pay you a ton i have and i, I so he says he's got a, a comp toner full of of beskar which one i just think why did we need to come up with like why do we need to slightly change the word container to make it comp toner comptono yeah and anyway two, it's, it's just a bucket yeah, it's it's a bucket with a lock on it. Um, give you but a bucket. we get introduced to to Beskar, which mm-hmm. we're led to believe is a super valuable. It, these are like metal blocks, uh, like mm-hmm. a, a, a thin metal brick. Um, looks kind of like steel. Yeah, the Beskar it's, it's associated with the Beskar steel in the very first scene on the ice planet. You know that human thug, whatever he takes his knife on the, and you can see that the Beskar steel is well is is galaxy renowned. So the fact that he has like a, a brick of it in front of it and the conversation that they have there, we're told that this stuff is rare. And the fact that it has like the imperial like insignia on it also has certain connotations that, well, maybe it's because the empire somehow took it. And I think that that conversation is interesting because the character of the, of the, of the client, he's, he talks about restoring the natural order of things. So like he acknowledges because he's on the imperial side he acknowledges that the Imperials took it, but he says they should go back to the Mandalorian. So he's enticing the Mandalorian as a means of payment for the job by giving him one. He says there's a comptono of it, of, of more of it when, you know, when the job is complete. Yep. So, and the last thing here is he says, we can give you this, or if you bring if we'll, we'll give you this reward. If you bring him back alive or, there's a lesser fee we'll give you if you if you bring back proof of his termination, which is you know very foreboding terminology. And the the scientist is like, whoa, 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 we didn't agree on that. And you know the thing about this scientist, there's a little like Easter egg here or a little a little nod to who he might be. The the uniform he's wearing has the the patch from the cloning group on Camino, um, and you know, we don't quite understand what this is. And at the point in this episode, we don't know who we're even going after, but this is just, it's a very interesting introduction to the fact that someone from the, like the cloning facilities is interested in this person who they're paying Mando to go get, and they're paying him a lot. So uh, one, you know, we know from, you know, Star Wars legends and things that uh, cloning was a potential aspect of what what brought back the emperor either in in the current trilogy final trilogy or the way it, it was going to work in the original legends books um so there may be some some nod here to uh, you know we're only five years past this so we know a lot about from from some of the current books like operation cinder or whatever the emperor's orders to burn down the empire but there were some things left in place for how to you know, build back a new uh, order. And uh, so maybe this is part of that. We don't really know at this point. We definitely know that cloning is, is, is certainly associated with the Sith. And it wasn't really known in the um, in the prequel trilogy. 
it was definitely made more aware in um, the more recent movie of um, uh, the last, um, I forgot the name of the movie, it was so, um, Return of Skywalker, Rise of Skywalker, sorry. Rise of Skywalker, it's definitely alluded that it is a purely Sith notion that life should be, you know, life should be natural, people should be born, people should be die. That's a very Jedi way of looking at it. But then like forcing creation is a very Sith way of looking at things. So we kind of have, you, you kind of, for those who are in the know, if you get this idea that the Tarkin is associated with the Imperial and that this doctor has the cloning patch, then, then somehow it has something to do with the Sith all over again. But we really don't know at this stage. What I really liked about this particular scene is that after the doctor shares his um, his concerns, like, no, 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 that's not what we agree on. Werner Herzog, the client, he goes, I was just bringing pragmatic. I understand that bounty hunting is a complicated profession. That's probably my favorite line in the entire, not just the show, but the entire the complicated profession that really sets the tone for like what Mando actually has to experience from that point, from that point forward. Well, so the, the scene ends here. He, he walks out, he's got his one bar of uh, Beskar and walks down the city street a little bit. And yeah, with some flan and a bar of, of steel and um, goes through uh, a doorway and right down the stairs and he's in the Mandalorian covert. And first of all, the covert obviously means like hidden or secretive. He walked in right off the street and was right into (laughs) this area. Like what is covert about it? And he like, he looks like a little bit left and right, but like he's wearing Mandalorian armor. He is not blending in, walks right in and goes down. So I, I don't quite buy this entry here. There's either something else to it or, it's just not shown very well to be secretive, but he walks down these stairs. He comes into like a hallway that's clearly in like an underground sewer system or an underground city area. And there's a bunch of kids running around wearing Mandalorian helmets, which I think is like a really cool scene. Um, it shows you a little bit like in a brief glimpse, like what the Mandalorians are about that they're as children are also wearing their helmets um, and, uh, yeah, and it's just a, a really cool, and it's like a three second clip as it cuts between the stairs to this next scene, uh, when Mando sits down with the armorer and this is cool scene. There's this f- fire pit, uh, blacksmith forge that has these like blue flames coming up. It's cool. There's some tools. She's got this like Iridonian horned, uh, Mandalorian helmet, which is like a really cool vision, and she's got this like, like the the visor that she's wearing. It's more reminiscent. It's very different from like his Mando helmet, what we've seen from other Mando helmets. Hers is more Spartan. It's more Spartan in nature. Yeah, and she's like wearing like, uh, like animal fur Pelt. of some kind. Yeah, she has a very different look than what we've seen a lot of Mandalorians to look like. Mm-hmm. But they sit down in the scenes like set up very reverent, like her movements are very intentional, very slow, very deliberate. Um, she sets down her tool. She comes over slowly. It it feels religious. It feels like almost like a Catholic confessional. Like there's this like procedure to sitting down. They kind of like nod to each other, like very ceremonial. Exactly. That was what the point I was going to make is like it, it kind of harkens back also to like the samurai 
um, there's a very sense of there's a sense of honor how they cho- how they believe that even their weapons were just extensions of themselves. It wasn't just okay, I'm gonna pay for the sword and I'll be on my way. Like no, you wait. It's gonna be crafted. There's a story behind it. Um, ceremonial is definitely the word I would and and honor are words associated with this scene where he sits down first. He waits for her. He doesn't say anything. She approaches him, and then he puts down the steel and payment of the of the of the flan. So nothing is free. He provides the material and he provides payment for for the service. Yep. And so we talk a little bit here with her. She um, talks a little bit about the Beskar. She says that it's from the Purge, which we don't know what that is. You know, it's clearly something happened with the Empire and the Mandalorians that you know, made them to be what they are today. They're not on Mandalore, obviously. And, um, but, you know, we get the first allusion to what the purge might be. Um, and she says she can form this into a signet or into a, a pauldron, like a kind of shoulder armor piece and ask what his, has his signet been revealed? Like his sort of the, the icon of his clan, um, which it has not. And she says soon with like knowing like, is it's about to happen um and obviously it's of course it's going to happen because this is a tv show about him so we will we're going to need to find out more but um so she puts the bar in she says something too about um the excess from this will sponsor many foundlings so we get a little another nugget about the mandalorians um he says i was once a foundling so we get some backstory on him a little bit too we don't quite know what a foundling is kind of it sounds like a young kid sounds like these kids in the hallway i think it alludes to the fact foundling is kind of like an orphan it's like someone who is found it could be their way of adopting their way of describing someone who's adopted as a child like an orphan and then she begins to forge the pauldron and we get this kind of like PTSD flashback yeah. scene where as she's hammering it, each hammer flashes back to, we don't quite get the full picture here. It's there's, it's a battle scene. Some like um, human parents are running and holding a kid. There's laser bolts, a lot, a lot of things going on here. Uh, and then the scene kind of ends, but it's definitely a traumatic experience. This town is being kind of shot up and blown up. Um, and, and then the scene ends here. He gets his pauldron mounts it up and he's off to go get the package so we don't know where he flies off to we don't know exactly how he gets this information um but we do know that he's following the direction of the key fob the uh, tracking fob over to see yeah, i think they it. said they they gave him last known positional data last post positional data yeah i would imagine that would give him the planet <laughs> and there's a cool like another like landing sequence scene where we get drawn back we can see the the razor crest landing um and it, it's a desert like planet and we've seen several in the series in the movies uh in, in clone wars so far you mm-hmm. know it could be tatooine that's the one we we know most familiarly mm-hmm. uh could be jedda from rogue one mm-hmm. um even Ryloth from the Clone Wars series where the Twi'lek people live. We um, do know that the Blurg were found on, or they were used as, as writing mounts for the Twi'lek. So it, it could be possible, but you know, it doesn't really, doesn't really explain where, I mean, space horses are, are anywhere in the galaxy at this point. <laughs> I love space horses. Um, space, that's space, space horse. Yeah. And I mean, like, obviously we've got, 
um, we've been in this galaxy. They've had interstellar travel for several millennia. So mm-hmm. I'm sure interstellar commerce has existed <laughs> and these animals have been moved around from wherever they used to be. So anyway, that's we, we, we've landed on this planet um, and uh, he's immediately... So we get the, another classic trope of looking through the binocs to look far off in the distance. Most advanced technology in the world, and you still have that like super grainy, <laughs> grainy feed looking through your through your camera. Like you don't think that they, HD 4K isn't available for your binoculars? They they've been focusing more on the on the toilet cannons. Um, yeah. But he's looking off in the distance and he sees like a few blurg and then all of a sudden one is right up in his face, tackles him, grabs his arm and starts kind of ripping him all over the place, swinging him back and forth. Uh, he's trying to use his other arm uh, like flame cannon, which is pretty awesome. Um, and then but it's not working and he's not doing super well. And then all of a sudden he gets shot by a trank dart. And then another blurg shows up to charge him while Mando's like underneath partially this blurg and he gets tranked as well. And then the blurg, s- not Mando. Not Mando, the blurg. No, and then slowly uh, uh, an individual rides up on a blurg uh, who's got a very interesting look to him. Mm-hmm. Looks a little bit like the general from the car insurance commercials. He's, he's got a lot going on. We find out that this guy's like he's a pretty solid dude. He he first says, "Are you a man? Are you a bounty hunter?" And Mando's like, "Yeah, I'm a bounty hunter." Which I feel like he could have tried to lie, but I don't know if that really can go over if you're a Mandalorian. No, I'm a car salesman. Yeah, he's like, "I am a bounty hunter." He's like, "All right, I'm going to help you." I've spoken, which is this really cool. Like this guy is like old school in a way that like society's really missing out on at this point. He's willing to help another person just because he met him. Even he brings him to his home. He's very hospitable. He's training him. He's like, you're a guest here. And so I am at your service. Um, we, the, the, the connection here moving forward is he'll guide him to where the, he knows where the bounty is located because other bounty hunters have clearly come through here before. Uh, he says, I'll show you how to get there, but you, but only if you pay me half. And he's like, wait, half of the commission to, to guide? He's like, no, 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 half of the blurk we just shot. He's like, I don't care about the blur. You're going to have both. He's like, no, no, you need one of them because you have to write it. And I'll say, I don't understand why they needed the blurk. I think it was because it was such a long, long distance. If he could, if he used his, his, uh, his ship to get over there, they would have picked it up easily. Well, I mean, even like, We'll find in the ep- second episode, so I'm not trying to spoil <laughs> here, but he doesn't ride one back and he makes it back. So maybe it is just about time getting there quicker. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, so they go back to his ranch. Um, you find out a little bit about this guy. He was he was a slave for the Empire mm-hmm. um, or like an indentured servant yeah. because he, he, he works off his family's debt and to gain his freedom. His race is known as the uh, Ugnaughts, which are like these pig-like... Um, creatures which they in the movies you see them in the background especially in uh, empire strikes back yeah they're at the cloud city mm-hmm. their their race is sort of they're very technical in nature um but they kind of like pushovers they've been used and abused throughout the uh, throughout the empire um 
so this is the first time we actually see one speaking basic uh, in, in English, whatever for us. I really like this scene because it reminded me, going back to Empire Strikes Back, which I'll say it right now, probably the best Star Wars movie ever, in my humble opinion. When Luke first meets uh, Yoda, he's got this old, short, but very wise uh, character in this little hovel that they're in. And then Mando has to like duck down just to be able to like, you know, have a cup of coffee with him or something. And then when they have this conversation. So I think this scene um, is also proof that whoever's creating or whoever's behind the scenes is fans of the original of George Lucas's vision because you have this stoic character who needs to rely on the information and the wisdom of this short, old, um, sort of life-hardened character, and then they work together towards uh, a common goal. Yeah, well, and he he drops right into the mentor role, like, immediately. So, like we said, you got to ride the blurg to get there. He doesn't know how to. He tries for a moment. He's like, this is... Uh, this is dumb. Can I get some kind of speeder or, or a speeder bike or something? He's like, your ancestors rode the great mythosaur. And he like calls him out. Like he's like, yeah. man up, bro. Like <laughs> you this, called out you, you, your ancestors rode dinosaurs. You can ride this little lizard, like, you know, figure it out. We get this, we get this great line. He's like, I think he remembers I tried to burn him. He's like, well, it's a female because the males get eaten during mating, which is like a, that is a harsh uh, life. Yeah. So anyway, so given that uh, little encouragement, we'll say, uh, he tries it again, approaches him slowly, hops on, and he manages to, to tame him and ride it. So they, they ride off into the sunset almost literally across this like really hard cracked desert sands which form like these cool little canyons in between i mean it's it's a pretty interesting terrain um and they they go all the way across and they they end up on the edge of a cliff near a thieves den and uh our our man kind of disappears um we don't actually find out his name in the series we i think we actually find out in the credits don't we no, I think it's in the last episode. I think in the last episode he actually reveals his name. Okay. The last or second to last episode. But that's if you're looking at the subtitles with the subtitles on and in the credits, it's always the um there's always the article and then the the the, the name describing the person, the Mandalorian, the client, the Ugnaught, and you don't you know. So it's sort of a recurring theme. So we don't ever find out his name here and he he sort of fades away um, and he's he's no longer with us. Um, Mando is now overlooking this thieves den, this uh, lookout full of scoundrels, uh, kind of scouting out his approach to, to get to. We assume that the package that the person he's trying to get is here. Um, and as he's, he's got his little, I love the little scope that comes on and off his rifle. So he's like, he's holding it up, which kind of looks weird with his helmet, but he's, he's holding <laughs> up this little, yeah. And they look like this, the little, um, jumbo straw telescopes that you got as a kid or you're just like, they don't, they, they max, they, they make it like a little bit bigger, but anyway, he's looking, sees something and then you hear like the clink, 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 and mm-hmm. it pans over and you see, the greatest droid <laughs> moment. Uh, so it's an IG-11. We've seen this before. IG-88 was in Empire Strikes Back. Mm-hmm. Some of these IG droids were in Clone Wars mm-hmm. um, in a couple episodes. 
they're super awesome, like attack droids, bounty droids, mm-hmm. very versatile, very difficult to to take on but also very literal i mean they have there's not much in terms of personality like they're literally programmed to get the job done yeah which is hilarious because he is the comic relief of this <laughs> part of the episode um like you said no personality uh no nuance in how he he talks he he walks up to this stronghold and he's like i'm here for the bounty you need to hand it over as if like they were just going to walk out and be like, Oh, okay, well, here you go. He starts quoting like the bounty hunters guild section, whatever. like, well, I'm here. You have it now. Give it to me. Yeah. Like as if like giving the article of the constitution that pertains to this is what was going to release it. Oh yeah. Just, and, but a guy reaches for his blaster. This starts what I think is the best fight sequence for sure. Without a lightsaber in it, in Mm -hmm. any star Wars movie, maybe with, in, in any movie um this awesome like old western style shootout ig shoots the first guy then the second guy you start to see his abilities as a droid he has like six different pivot points where he can just rotate around his head is is bisected into like four different viewing points so he can look in multiple directions shoot in multiple directions has these like just really awesome turning movements. I mean, it's pretty effective when you have 360 degree complete stationary rotation. It's pretty, uh, pretty efficient. Yeah. And he's also like, he's a very clunky mover as in terms of when he walks, like when he's standing still and turning and, and shooting, he, he's pretty agile, but he has a very like clunky intentional motion, but he's, he's there. Mando's frustrated because it just blew his plans <laughs> to have a sneak attack and, you know, cover make it work so he jumps down the hill finally steps up from behind a column and he's like ig unit trying to get his attention turns and shoots mando which is blasts <laughs> off of his armor which again this beskar is really awesome because mm-hmm. throughout the series he gets shot multiple times mm-hmm. and any other person would be dead particularly like i don't know why stormtroopers even wear armor because it doesn't do anything for them <laughs> At least in any demonstrable way. Why give them blasters if they're not going to shoot shoot their targets anyway either, but whatever. So Mando gets hit. He's like, IG, I'm in the guild too. You find out that IG's here for the same bounty. They've mm-hmm. both been given a fob, which seems to be not protocol or normal mm-hmm. protocol. I, I, to me, it sounded like, yeah, sure, why not? Yeah, there's definitely something odd about that situation. They're like, I thought I was the only one. They're like, well, I did too. Okay, well, we should work together. IG's like, well, I was here first. He's like, okay, well, <laughs> you haven't gotten it yet and you're not doing so hot. So why don't we work together? And it, he has this very clear AB logic. He's just like, okay, that's acceptable. And then they move <laughs> on. They just start shooting all of these guys and they just keep coming and coming and mm-hmm. coming like the heavy trope for any for any thieves den apparently there's just waves and waves and waves of them right like there's just a room it's like in a video game there's a spawn <laughs> point where the just inexplicably there are more and more soldiers that just pop up and spawn and run out to fight that's how it feels here they get by the door where they know the fob is pointing to and they get pinned down they can't get it open at that moment a heavy repeating blaster gets rolled in on a floating tripod 
I like how uh, I like how um, IG Eleven his his reaction to like oh this is an impossible situation so I guess I just gotta blow myself up. <laughs> this know? happens like three or four different times where his base protocol is to not be captured and give up like his intellectual property to whoever captures him. So he's required to self destruct. So he's like oh I've evaluated that I am. Uh, I can't get out of this. I'm going to self-destruct. And Mando's like, stop doing that. <laughs> we are trying to do this. And he keeps, each time he redirects his attention, he's like, don't do that. Cover me. Or don't do that. Get over there. And he's like, that's acceptable. Like It's just very logic. Just do this. Okay, fine. Um, and so once this heavy repeating blaster is shooting at them, he's like, IG, you run over there, draw their fire. I'll go get the thing. Uh, IG runs out. He gets hit a couple of times and knocked down, and and it kind of pulls away from him. So you're not sure what's up with him. Just enough for Mando to come up behind. Yeah, he pops out, does his little grappling hook, grabs the blaster, hits the guy who was manning it, and he hops on and he just like starts rolling around in a circle, just blasting every guy in view. There's this one spot where. I can't tell. So he's as he's panning across, blasting everybody in view, this one guy up on a rooftop dives off. And it looks like the old fashioned when the stunt guys like dove off to like make (laughs) it look more intense when you shot somebody way up high. He dives off and I can't tell if it's because he mistimed when he was supposed (laughs) to like fall down dead or if it's because he was just headfirst diving off this building (laughs) to try to save himself from getting shot. In any case, I'm sort of disappointed that they, they didn't add the uh, the the um, stock Wilhelm scream as the guy's like. Ah! Oh, I know the, the red shirt scream. That would have been great. It has to be in there. Like that's so classic. We just probably missed it. Um, but at, at, we, we get everybody shot in this uh, in this courtyard, and uh, IG stands back up. Mando's like, "Are you okay?" He's like performing self-analysis yeah it looks like it missed my wiring harness and I, amanda's like it's not a good thing <laughs> so, yeah i'm fine so they walk over try to figure out how to open the door they blast it with the repeating blaster i like it i like how they they're, they're looking at the door and like how are we going to get in and he like turns around and he looks at it and the next thing you see is the inside shot of the room it's just yeah great Hopefully. view of these laser blaster bolts uh, going straight through the door wasn't right behind that door otherwise I know. that was a big gamble <laughs> <laughs> and then ig obviously kicks it knocks the door down now that it's been weakened one guy hops out and mando blasts him and says anybody else get nothing they pull out the fob they see that it's in the corner they go over and there's this floating egg you know in your head at this point you're thinking well they're here to catch a person Mm-hmm. Why are we at this? Just, yeah, a fifty, a fifty-year-old person. Person, yeah. Why are we at this? This this egg is like three feet long and like a foot and a half tall. It's, it's quite small. Mm-hmm. What, like, what is this about? Um, so they walk up and they hit the little button on it. It opens up, and uh, and we get Baby Yoda, the child. Which, yeah, the child. So many questions come up here. Mm-hmm. My God, you know, and Yoda. His existence has been sort of shrouded in mystery forever. We know in general, I, Yoda lived, I forget, eight to 900 years. 900, he died at 900, I think it was. Okay. So, you know, old dude sort of makes sense now why a 50-year-old version of his species looks like a baby. Um, IG-11 mentioned something interesting. He goes, um, some species just age differently. 
this is the writer's way of saying. Right. Which, which is again, like, you know, IG is very, well, this thing is 50 years old, so it must age differently. <laughs> like A plus B equals C. Um, so he says that, um, you know, again, this is insane. Now that we see that there's this baby Yoda, we don't necessarily know that every member of Yoda's species is force sensitive, although we believe he they probably are. I think there's one other member of the Jedi Council who is a there female version of his Yaddle species. Was her name. She, you, you get a quick shot of her in, um, in the Phantom Menace, and then somewhere between Phantom Menace and Clone Wars, she gets captured somewhere and and, and she dies. So uh, I think in Legends, um, they heavily infer that whatever, um, and also there's also um, Knights of the Old Republic game where there was a someone of Yoda's race. A yeah, thousand or two thousand years. I before forget the his events. name, Vascar or something like that. Something like that. Um, that game takes place, I think, a thousand years before the events of a Phantom Menace. So it's heavily implied. You know, you get these three characters um, that you've seen so far that talk and move around. They're extremely force sensitive. So it's highly implied that that species that we know absolutely nothing about, we even know their name, a formal name. They're all force sensitive. So um, now that we see the child we see of this baby Yoda, which by the way is just blew my mind when, when, when I saw this and I can tell you with all certainty, it's probably like my, my wife's favorite character in the entire star Wars universe, this adorable version of Yoda, like you said, answer, it just leaves so many questions that we don't know if this show will answer. We don't even know if this next season of the show is really going to answer, but it's interesting that now at that point, you have the Empire wants it. The Empire is associated with cloning and a bunch of people are holding it basically for ransom. So there's so many different forces behind the scenes that are playing and Mando is just sort of thrust into, into the mix of it. Um, but what I found really powerful about this scene is that obviously IG-11 is about to like, well, the bounty says I got to take it dead. So here we go. And then just close up to mando's helmet and then you see blaster fire and you think ig-11 pulls the trigger next thing you see is ig-11 with a big hole and smoke coming out of his head and then you see mando holding holding his blaster to the side so he doesn't even need to look at it to know what's the most effective way of, of taking the droid down but why that scene was so important is because at the very last second which is probably my favorite scene in the entire in the entire series is that he holds out his finger and then the child also takes out his tiny, his tiny little three fingers and like reaches out to grab him. This is obviously a child with no parents. Mando is heavily inferred that he is a child with no parents. So obviously there's going to be, from this point forward, there's going to be a bond. And the rest of the show is, is showing that bond. He sees himself in this tiny 50-year-old <laughs> green baby. <laughs> green baby. That that sets this that sets this storyline so apart from anything that we've seen so far in Star Wars. So, and that's that's the end of the of the episode. It fades from that to the credits, which are are great. They're like these um, either pre production artwork when they are blocking out the show, or they just uh, once they went with the show, they upped it to like a production quality. Really cool artwork. 
I think it's I think it was pre-production stuff because um, you'll start if you notice the details behind the artwork, you'll start seeing things that never made it into the show. Gotcha. Well, and there it's I love what Disney Plus did in the streaming, uh, particularly when you're trying to binge the show. The the next episode button doesn't pop up until it's gone through like the first. It's like a minute and a half of the credits um, because that's something that a lot of other streaming services like as soon as the show's over you can click next episode and you skip all the credits so like the the artwork it feels like part of the story um even though it's behind the credits of the you know the creators but it the fact that it's built into the streaming just kind of seems cool yeah no for sure so uh that's episode one how are you feeling so far what are you thinking i'm liking it i'm hoping the people that are listening to this are also liking it as well <laughs> yeah and, and they can't wait for episode two so yeah. what was your favorite part of the episode uh, i mean i love the shootout it's it's such a great scene i love ig11's character his his comedic timing or lack of timing and even just the chemistry between mando and ig is great very abbott and costello kind of uh, totally totally <laughs> Abbott and Costello with thermal detonators and blasters. I my favorite part definitely was the revelation of the child. The fact that we not only it's like it it absolutely blew my mind when I saw something like no they couldn't no they couldn't oh my god it's a, it's another Yoda we'll finally get background into this iconic character so and and the way that they framed that whole scene the way they concluded it with the you know that was. To, with the silhouettes of everybody is very much like the very beginning of the episode where Mando comes in by himself and at the very episode he comes out with one other. And I, I feel like this series so far, just it feels like a great succession in the timeline. Like it feels mm-hmm. a lot like the original trilogy in, in the way that it's shot and mm-hmm. even the feeling of the universe because the first or the galaxy, the first, the prequel series goes back to a time that was very different than what we saw in the first trilogy. But this is still fairly similar in that like, Jedi aren't everywhere. The Empire is still vaguely around, but it's falling apart. Um, so, and it just it has the kind of feel that the original series had. So, I like that a lot about the vibe of the show. Yeah, same here. It's it's a good way of filling in the gaps without giving us too much information. You know, it's giving us from the perspective of the people that were pretty much on the ground who had to face the repercussions of the fall of the Empire and the introduction of the New Republic. Um, so it's very good at um, it's, it's very good at giving us this background information on other parts of the Star Wars universe that we that we normally wouldn't have associated with with the movies. That's all for this episode. Thank you for joining us. If you like this episode, please subscribe, share, and leave a review where you can. Also, please follow us on social media. We're on Instagram at Death Watch Podcast. We're on Twitter at Death Watchcast, and you can follow us on the Magic Mail app. Thanks for listening. This is the way. This is the way. Mm-hmm.